Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Hello, everyone. Happy holidays. I'm doing a new thing this year. So between Christmas and New Year, I'm going to talk every day for about 10 to 15 minutes on a subject which people struggle with when it comes to gundog training, gundog owning, gundog stuff. So the idea here is to have some sort of brief, to the point, succinct podcast episodes that highlight further resources for you to check out should you need to, I don't know, address some of these issues with your own dogs. So today I'm going to start with my dog doesn't give me attention or focus outdoors. That was our subject for this sort of 10 to 15 minute podcast episode today. The other thing I want to let you know about is there is a big sale on on my website starting on Boxing Day 26th of December and going through until I think I think it was the 2nd of January. And that will give you 40% off with discount code Happy Holidays 2023. So Happy Holidays 2023 will give you 40% off any course on my online site at forcefreegundog.com. Train your gun dog without force or fear. Motivate and educate. Hold the line is here. Prevention, repetition, generalization, motivation. Hold the line. Okay, everyone, no messing around here because I'm supposed to be being brief, succinct, and to the point. And if you know me, I'm not good at being any of those things. So, our subject today is the dog doesn't give me attention or focus outdoors. The first thing I want to say is that I have covered this subject before on this podcast. So, I'm going to give you the podcast episodes that you need to go back and check out for more detailed information on this one. So, the episodes are episode, this is from the earliest going up to most recent, episode 61, which is about adolescence. So particularly if you're struggling with an adolescent dog that won't give you attention outdoors, you might want to check that one out. Episode 85, episode 86, and episode 88. So I'll give you those again. Episode 61, episode 85, episode 86, and episode 88 are all episodes where I cover this subject. So One reason why dogs might not want to give you attention or focus outdoors is they may lack food motivation. So if a dog is not very interested in the reinforcers that you have available to reinforce their behavior, then they're not going to give you behavior (laughs) because they don't want what you're going to reinforce that behavior with. So if you're dealing with food motivation problems, I suggest you check out episode 54 and episode 72 on this podcast because I address that and take a deep dive on those particular episodes into food motivation. So what I'm going to say here is going to kind of assume that you've fixed the food motivation problem and that your dog is generally food motivated. Perhaps they just don't want to eat food 
when they're in a very distracting environment, but they're very, very food motivated in other circumstances. So let's just assume that. And if that's not the case, go check out those episodes 54 and 72. So let's let's think about this a little bit. So the way that I want to think about this is we need to kind of make sure that as the dog grows and develops, that we're building the reinforcers that we want the dog to be using in future. Now, if, say, you have a young puppy and you don't really do much training with that puppy, your dog doesn't grow up learning to earn reinforcers from you, whether those be food or toys. But what they grow up learning to do is to go and seek out reinforcement from the environment. So to run everywhere, to hunt, to find fantastic game scent, to put up bunnies and birds. And wow, the environment is just amazing. And by the way, this is what um, a lot of traditional trainers do. Because a lot of traditional trainers, particularly if they are in countries where the e-collar is going to be used, they will allow the pup to run as much as the pup wants to run and hunt and find stuff and explore and just get really reinforced by the environment because at some point they know they're going to come along and they're going to use their e-collar to control the, be able to control the dog. It's a lot harder to do that if you're not going to use an e-collar. So I suggest we don't take that particular approach if we hope to train the dog using force-free training methods because it's going to be very difficult. So instead, we want to be building and this, t- this can take some time, building the reinforcers that we want the dog to value and teaching the dog how to learn to earn reinforcers from us. So those can be, that can be food and that can be toys. And I suggest, you know, in an ideal world, you'd have a dog which really values both food and toys, but usually dogs will value one or the other more. And you can just kind of learn that as you train your dog and then use the reinforcer that they value most. It's actually, I find really great if you've got a dog which does value toys because we can use toys at the flush if you've got a breed which hunts and and flushes game like a hbr or spaniel we can use toys to sort of simulate um the the game fleeing and being put up and we can provide a different stimulus stimulus for the dog which is going to sort of replace that game so instead of the dog I don't know, chasing the bunny, the dog can have a chase on, say, a flirt pole, which you can whip out from your from your pocket or something. And I find that that tends to replace um, the, the desire to chase the game more readily than does plonking some food in the dog's mouth. Like it's very, it's easier for the dog to accept that as a substitute. But not all dogs value toys, no matter how much work you put into trying to build that and not all dogs will, will come to value that. A lot of this is genetic. A lot of what the dog is going to value in the future as a reinforcer is genetic. So one of the things you're doing whilst your puppy is growing up is observing your puppy and trying to figure out, you know, how much do they value food? How much do they value toys? And under what different environmental conditions will they accept these reinforcers? You know, if they're, if they're in a sort of really stimulating environment, Will they still eat food? Will they still take food? And will they still feel reinforced by food? Or is it something that their brain is focused on the environment and like their lips are kind of (laughs) taking the food from you, but it's not really, it's not really reinforcing a behavior because the dog is almost unconsciously eating. So, um, you know, just think about that as you're raising your dog and equally with the, with the toys. I've seen a lot of dogs who really love to play tug and love to play with toys in the house. But when you take them out into the field, well, they're just not very interested at all. They might sort of play a little bit half-heartedly for a few seconds and then they just don't want to play anymore. So it's really important that you kind of notice what kind of dog you are raising because you're going to use that in the future. All right, so that's the first thing I would say. Next thing I would say is when you do start to go outside and you do take your training 
from the house to the field. And by the way, that's an important thing to add as well, is that, you know, you wouldn't just start training your puppy in the field necessarily. And if you do want to try doing that, make sure you choose um, a particular location in a particular field or outside environment. And you just sort of keep it quite static at first. You don't want to be providing the puppy with a different, exciting, novel, outdoor place every single day, unless you're working on hunting, which by the way, again, that depends on your dog as to whether, how early you should be working on that. Um, but if you do want to be developing focus and attention from your dog, focus and attention on you, don't go to novel, exciting rural environments on a daily basis. Don't walk the dog. <laughs> Maybe this is an important one to say at the start of the holiday period, because this is a time when lots of people have dog walks with their dogs. Obviously, if that's just a one-off thing that happens once a year, that's fine. But don't get into the habit of routinely walking the dog, unless you do want to encourage the dog to be more into the environment, which some for some dogs, you really want to do that. But if you're working on developing focus and attention on you, it's probably not something you want to be doing. So keep the environment the same, keep it boring, keep it familiar, keep it routine. And once your dog can respond to you in that one particular place, add in another place. When your dog can respond to you in those two particular places, add in another place and so on until you end up with a variety of places that you can just go to and your dog can provide you with focus and attention in those environments, at which point you can probably go anywhere and still have that same sort of focus and attention from your dog. You might want to, or you definitely should, at the beginning, use a long line on your dog. Make sure you're using that with a harness so that your dog doesn't get harsh sort of corrections around the throat every time you use the long line. The long line is not perfect. It's not an ideal solution. A lot of people say things like, my dog ran around me six times and I, f I fell over, or <laughs> my dog, I don't know, um, yanked the, the long line through my hands and I've got rope burn on my fingers. And, you know, I've heard it all, guys. I've heard all the long, lo bleh, long line disaster stories that exist. It's not a perfect solution. It's definitely not, a, you know, a hands-off training method. I wish that we had a button that we could press, which would deliver a delicious fish treat directly in front of the dog's lips. That would probably be, you know, much better than having, <laughs> having something we have to hold on to. But it's, all we have to prevent the dog from deciding to do stuff that they might decide to do spontaneously. So yeah, it's better than nothing. And a lot of the time it's very effective. It's just something you have to be careful of if you've got a large, strong dog. And if, I don't know, they put up game and they try to chase it, then there are certain things you might need to be careful of there. But by and large, the long line is a great way to teach your dog to respond to you whilst also giving them a little bit more freedom around your person. So that rather than having to be in a short lead by your side, they can be in a slightly longer lead. They can get more exercise because they're able to run further. And you can begin to just sort of test out, you know, how much control do I really have? You know, can you run retrieves within the length of the long line? Are you needing to touch the long line at all? Or is the dog just able to go out, come back? In which case you can probably take it off. You know, I always say to people, when you find that you're just not ever really needing to touch the long line, you can probably take it off now. That's the time when you can take it off. If you find that you're constantly grabbing for it, constantly, you know, the dog's ignoring you and you're finding you're grabbing a long line to prevent them from going somewhere which you don't want them to go, then you probably can't take it off yet. So, so that's a good sort of, you know, sign of when you can stop using it. But it is an important piece of training equipment, particularly if you've got a puppy or a young dog. And that is the ideal time to be using it as well, because a puppy or a young dog 
is not going to, well, it's unlikely to have the strength to be able to pull you off your feet. So if you can get all this control work done while your pup is young, by the time they get big and muscly and adolescent, you probably are uh, stopping using the long line by that point. So it's definitely worth putting in the time with with your younger dog. Um, All right, so that's a long line. And what else did I say? Um, There's lots to say about releasing your dog to the environment. So I think people fall into a bit of a pitfall, um, fall into a pitfall, you know what I mean, um, where they are thinking about it's it's them, the handler versus the environment that my dog, I want my dog to be interested in me and not interested in the environment. And on in some level in their brain, they're thinking the environment is my competitor. The environment is my challenge. The environment is, it's me versus the environment. What's my dog going to do? Are they going to choose me or are they going to choose the environment? And they sort of see it as um, almost an, op- an opposite, like the environment versus you. And it can feel like that sometimes, can't it? Because it can feel like, damn, why does my dog want to just go and sniff the floor over there? Why don't they want to just come and engage with me? Why does my dog want to stare off into the distance at that sheep, which is three miles away, instead of coming to engage with me? It can feel like all that stuff out there in the environment is against us. And I think that is not a helpful way to to view the environment. And we need to kind of... Um, reframe it as it were. So what I want to paint you a picture of is this, and this is the end product, by the way, you're not going to get to this at first. So your dog comes to you and you reinforce the dog with some food and you say, okay, go play or go sniff or go do whatever. You release the dog back to the environment. The dog goes to do that for a nanosecond and then comes back to you and you give them some treats and you say, go play, go sniff, go play. And after you do this a few times, when you say, go play, go sniff, the dog's like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to keep staring at you and working with you and doing stuff with you. That is, your dog says, I don't want the environment right now. I want you. And that is a very powerful moment when your dog chooses you over the environment. And when you feel that with your dog, you will know that if you wanted to do some heel work right then, your dog would offer you heel work and would be connected and focused on you. You would feel that you have that connection with your dog, which would enable you to do anything pretty much that you wanted to do with the dog, assuming your dog is trained to do it and understands how to do it, that your dog would be able to work in that moment with the distractions that are currently around you and to offer you focus. You just know and you feel that you have that connection with them. And that's what check-ins do. And this is what I call check-ins anyway. So... To achieve this, you want to do the sort of, it's a kind of a version really of Control Unleashed, give me a break game, but it's a kind of mobile version of it. And I cover this in my book as well. So you want to look at um, my Force Free Gundog training book for a detailed account of how to do this. But you're basically reinforcing the dog for any focus and attention. And then before they've looked away, before they've disengaged, while they're still looking at you, this is important, you're going to release them to the environment. So you'll say, go play or go sniff. And you're going to touch the floor, touch the ground at a distance from you, encourage them to disconnect from you and then let them do that for as long as they want to do that. But you're going to do it on a lead to start with, because otherwise your dog might end up hundreds of miles away. Well, maybe not hundreds, but, you know, um, you're going to do it on a lead. You can do it on a short lead at first. And if your dog gets better at this, you can do it on a long line. But you're going to restrict what your dog has access to. Let your dog sniff for as long as they want to sniff in that spot. But don't move. Don't give them more and more and more fresh ground. Just limit what they have access to. They're going to get bored at some point because they're going to sniff whatever they've got access to and they're going to look back at you or they're going to come back to you. As soon as you see that engagement with your person, you're going to click and give them treats, 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 treats. And again, before they've looked away, you're going to say, go play or go sniff. So what's happening here is they are focusing on you 
And you're reinforcing that with food, but you're also reinforcing that with a release back to the environment, which is what they really want. So they go check out the environment. And then at some point they get a bit bored of that. They've had enough of the environment. They offer you focus. You reinforce them with food, but you quickly release them back to the environment. So basically what happens is you end up with this beautiful circle, this beautiful kind of fluid circle happening where they offer you attention and then they get released back to the environment. They offer you attention, they get released back to the environment. And the whole thing reinforces itself, which is why it's really, really useful. And you build a lot of focus from the dog while they are within distracting environments, because the more they want the environment, the more you are included in that. It's as if instead of it being you versus the environment, you and the environment become a seamless reinforcement thing <laughs> to the dog. <laughs> so you 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 kind of blend yourself into this, this circle, this cycle of, of stuff happening. So it's not you versus the environment. You are using the environment as a reinforcer. So the reinforcer is off your person, but to the dog, it still seems to be under your control because the access to it still happens when you say, go sniff or whatever. So just like if you have one of those exercises where you, where you have a bowl of cookies in the, on, in the room and you say to the dog, cookies, and the dog goes and eats the cookies from a bowl in the corner of the room, that bowl of cookies is not on your person, but the dog is very aware that you are releasing them to go eat that reinforcer in the bowl in the corner of the room. So similarly, imagine that the whole environment is your bowl of cookies. And when you say, go play or go sniff, you're saying, go have some of those gorgeous cookies out there in the environment, but they're still under your control. The dog's access to it is still under your control. This builds really super focus from your dog in distracting environments. So I think that that's about all we've got time for in this sort of quick 15, 20 minute episode today. So just to run through everything I've said, check-ins, they are really, really important. You can find those in my book, Force Free Gundog Training, The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon. And also I have an online course, which is called Focus and Attention, which focuses, focuses exactly on the subject um, only uh, for a prolonged period of time, many weeks. So again, as I said at the beginning of the episode, there is a discount on all courses on my site over Christmas from the 26th of December until 2nd of January. And the code for, for that is Happy Holidays 2023. So put that code in on my website and you should get 40% off any course, including the focus and attention course, which is the course you need for this one. Okay, then you've got your use of your long line and restricting access to not providing the dog with ever more exciting places and environments. And remember those other podcast episodes that also focus on this. So if you're dealing with food motivation problems, check out episode 54 and 72. And if you're dealing with general focus and attention problems outdoors, check out episodes 61, 85, 86, and 88. Okay, everybody, that is all for today. And I'll be back hopefully tomorrow with another one. Hold the line.